0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal O'Phil. Marca Mesut Özil. Disparo de Bellerin. Gol.
0: This is Arscast Extra.
1: Hello there, and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Block. Good morning to you, James.
2: Good morning.
1: Was that was that transatlantic delay, or had you forgotten that I was talking? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was transatlantic delay, don't worry. I'm, I'm fully awake. That's fully very good. You.
1: That's very good. I, I hear you had a busy night last night because one of our uh, listeners, who is at AKAG9, AKAG9, uh, he reckons that he spotted you as one of the sharks behind Katy Perry at the halftime Super Bowl extravaganza. Can you confirm or uh, deny? Or?
2: I, I can't comment, but those are trademark moves of mine. I watched the Super Bowl, actually. Did you did you see any of it?
1: I didn't know. I went to bed because, uh, you know.
2: Fair enough, yeah. No, it was intriguing, but I couldn't really get into it, I have to say. I far preferred the sporting extravaganza that I watched at 5.30 in the morning, my time, of Arsenal-Aston Villa.
1: That was certainly very enjoyable. Um, Yeah, I mean, 5.30 in the morning is a hell of a time to get up and watch a game of football, isn't it? And it it makes you aware of, for us, it's easy, obviously, in terms of time zone, but there are people getting up really early in the morning or staying up really, really late at night to to watch Arsenal all around the world. Yeah,
2: I think, you know, excuse my ignorance, but I think I'd never really considered quite how extraordinary a commitment that is, and, you know, it's half past five and I'm up watching Arsenal and I had people from Australia and parts of Asia telling me what time it was over there. And It's pretty impressive stuff the people that people you know, go to those lengths to watch the games. so fair play to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If only somebody would start a blog with the name uh, the time at which they, they watch the games, just to give yeah. us an idea of of uh, what it's like. But hey, <laughs> there's an idea for somebody out there. Uh, before we crack on with what's going on with Aston Villa, today, of course, is transfer deadline day, and normally mm-hmm. a day when Arsenal fans are going crazy. They're sitting watching stuff. We're normally doing a live blog on Arse blog News. But this time around, it's all very calm because... Frankly, we don't necessarily need anybody. We, we needed badly a centre-half. We got the centre-half. We're not leaving things right until the last minute. Nobody's, nobody's really panicking. And dare I say it, that there seems to be a level of contentment with the squad that we've got right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, none of us expect Austin today. And none of us necessarily feel we need to. Uh, it seems like we've got a couple of pieces in there, and the jigsaw looks... Sort of worryingly complete. Mm. Um, I haven't even done a parody song, so it's a, a whole day is a bit of a non-event to be honest with you. Well,
1: yeah, I mean it is difficult when you're dancing around Katy Perry dressed as a shark to get that uploaded to YouTube. It's just finding the time.
2: That's it. I just couldn't make a video for it in time. Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, it's, it's been it's been a busy couple of days. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's it's actually a very strange feeling deadline day with us not being involved. We've become quite. You know, accustomed to it, haven't we?
1: Yeah. I have to say I prefer it like this, to be honest, that things are things are actually all right with the squad, that we seem to be fairly well covered in all areas. We're not really lacking anything. And there's, there's just a lack of panic and, and fear. So it's mm-hmm. a... Yeah.
2: I, I, I agree about the lack of panic, but I, I do quite like Deadline Day. I'm a little bit sorry that I won't catch most of it. It's a shame that Sky Sports have banned all the trolls from hitting their reporters with sex toys, though. That's a shame.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's just not enough dildo-in-the-ear action in sports coverage these days, and Sky have, have absolutely ruined that for everyone.
2: Yeah, this is shaking away all the fun, but there you go.
1: There you go. All right. Well, look, let's touch on Aston Villa then, yesterday. And, well, last time we played them at home, we took an early lead through Olivier Giroud, and then Anthony Taylor did his stuff, and it all went a bit horribly wrong. And I couldn't have been the only person that when Giroud put us into an early lead again, I think it was six minutes in 2013 when we played them at home, and eight minutes yesterday, that it was a Mm. bit like, uh, okay, this is a bit familiar. But... Thankfully, the referee had little or no impact on on the the game whatsoever.
2: No, he didn't really. We didn't allow him to because we we dominated so effectively. Um, I mean, we might even have gone ahead before that goal. Theo Walcott was played in inside the first, you know, the opening seconds of the mm. game, and I was really surprised that Akore caught him actually. But uh, yeah, I mean, arguably we should have been further ahead. Than we were at half time, and in the second half, uh, you know Villa fell apart, and we took advantage with some some really lovely goals.
1: Yeah, um, the the assist from Mesudozil for for Giroud's goal. Yeah, um, it was a bit sexy, really. There's no other way to de- <laughs> no other way to describe it. Not as sexy as you dressed as a shark behind Katy Perry, but right up there.
2: No. I mean, very few things are, but it was—it certainly ran me close in that (laughs) respect. Uh, (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant touch. Like, what I was actually watching on US TV, and I thought it was really strange that in all the replays of the goal, they barely mentioned. uh, They were talking about Giroud's finish, but they barely mentioned the assist. It was about forty minutes in before Lee Dixon brought it up. But I just watching it live, I sort of had to. It was one of those moments where. I thought I've got to see the replay of this I've got to see if that was as good as it looked first time round and it absolutely was and my favorite thing about it was that um in the second half we were on the counter attack and he produced almost an identical touch it, you know it just demonstrates that it's not fluke it's pure technique mm. I just thought it was a, a great moment and also an unusual Olivier Giroud goal running away from the defense one on one uh not like him, really. I mean, no, he just about managed to to get it over the line. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, he's he's not the quickest, is he? In fairness, but you know, the quality of the touch gave him so much room to to go clear. I mean, I think it was it uh, Okore who was who was uh, standing there saw the ball go over his head and was like, "Oh fuck! Uh, yeah. How would he do that? Shit! Now I have to run back and look." You know, I thought Shiru's first touch was absolutely sensational as well because it, it just moved the ball on perfectly uh, and allowed him to to get ahead of the defenders. A couple of the other. Which weren't quite so great, but I thought the finish then under pressure was was really really good. And um, you know that's a, that's an interesting combination. Those two, they seem to they seem to be on the the same wavelength.
2: Yeah, they do, and they uh, are, you know that was clear from Errol's debut uh, at Sunderland when he squared Black Path. They've always had a decent understanding, so very very promising to see them linking up, mm. and I think. You know, Ozil's probably the big the big plus of the game, wasn't he? I mean, that was his performance of the season. He seems to like playing against Aston Villa. I think it's because, you know, in the, in the reverse fixture, they played with a high line and we took them apart. And in this game, they made the same error. It's delightful that they didn't learn from it.
1: Yeah, it seems very odd to me that they would come to our place and do that because what frustrates us is when teams sit deep. Mm. and deny a space in behind, particularly when you've got players like Walcott. Um, you have, uh, well, Alexis Austin there, but uh, there are other speedy players in the team, but particularly Walcott, and that was evident from the first minute, like you say, when he went, when he went clean through and couldn't make the most of it. But look, the, second, the first half could have been more goal disallowed for offside. There was one taken away from Mertesacker, uh, goal disallowed. Did I say that already? There was a goal. Yeah, yeah I said that. Maybe... Uh, <laughs> did we have a goal disallowed? I think we did. Um, there were other chances as well. Cazorla hit the post, of course. Uh, Aaron Ramsey had a good shot saved. And there was a maybe five, ten minutes at the opening uh, part of the second half when Villa obviously were given a rocket at halftime by the manager and told, go out there and do something. Stop being so shit. And they were, in fairness to them in that period, less shit. But then, of course... Mesut scored, Arsenal second. Um, I I enjoyed the finish in the sense that it was precision-based rather than power-based. But would you have any questions for the goalkeeper about that one?
2: Maybe. It wasn't too... I mean, I think Brad Guzan's Even if he does look like an alien. But I think... He didn't have his best day. He'll be disappointed with Santi Cazorla's penalty as well, <laughs> having having, uh, <laughs> having stood up to to then just not be able to keep it out of the net. Well, where well, he was pretty saw. So. but uh, yeah, I thought it was a nice finish. And Arsene Wenger agreed. He was talking after the game about how he likes those, those precision goals, uh, where you go for technique rather than power. A good game for you to watch if that was if that was your thing.
1: Mm absolutely you are breaking up quite a bit here but i don't know what else we can do other than keep going so apologies to anybody listening you can just invent your own bits to fill in the gaps where james sort of fades in and out so it's like um like a scratch and sniff podcast in a way or you know it's it's open to people's own imagination what you're saying here so um
2: it's a joint effort now yeah
1: (laughs) um after that though it became something of a procession didn't it because uh walcott scored very quiet i thought another confusing theo walcott performance well not not so much confusing but you know you you look at him and you go he should be more involved in this game he hasn't really done it and then he you know the goal was absolutely brilliant
2: yeah it was a great a great finish
1: Uh, But the the move itself uh, was fantastic. No, because he picked the ball up, played it to Cazorla, continued his run, uh, picked up a pass that wasn't really meant for him, a a really nice touch as well, and and curled it in. You know, it was just a sensational 10 seconds of football from him.
2: That's true. at One end of the pitch to the other. Yeah, I mean, that's what he's got in his locker. You feel that he can produce that. Um, The rest of the time, you haven't got a clue what he's going to produce. And that's sort of the conundrum of Walcott. But for a forward to be so effective in front of goal is a, a massive thing. And he showed he showed again what he could do. I, I, hope, I hope that the other parts of his game will kind of round out as the rust comes off him in the coming weeks. But my memory of, of him as a player suggests that's not the case. Those inconsistencies are probably likely to remain.
1: Mm. I mean, is that just what we're going to have to expect or live with with Theo Walcott, that you know, expecting him to be an all-round player like most of the the guys in the team are, um, is unrealistic. But what he can bring you is are those moments, those uh, ten-second spells where, from out of nothing, he can score.
2: I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, something I was going to touch on in the in the question uh, is it was about Walcott, and I, I listened to your conversation with Tim Stillman last week and well I think you're absolutely right, he has got that match winning potential in those individual moments. We a very another player in very recent history of Arsenal was Lucas Podolski, who could do that. Mm. And Herbie Gunner, just to jump the gun slightly, actually asked, Is Theo at risk of becoming a quasi Podolski because of the issues with his all round game? And I, I think one wenger has got to answer, you know, he, he didn't Fiosky regularly because he didn't contribute enough to the general game and there's a a risk for Walcott that he kind of falls into the same boat, he might find himself relegated to that super sub role that we've Mm. talked about in the past
1: I mean is, is it one of those things that if you've got a squad of players that you can keep one guy like that, you know you can't necessarily have two of them but you've got one who can provide you with those moments because regardless of, of w- what you think about his all-round play, if he can do that and is capable of doing that and also, let's face it, capable of doing it against the big teams as well, you know, he scores a lot of goals against, uh, against the big sides, that if you can carry one, that's fair enough, but there's no room for two of them. So someone like Podolsky has been moved on.
2: Yeah. Possibly, hmm. possibly. I, I think it'll be fascinating to see, you know, what happens when all of Arsene mengas attacking options are available to him, just where to pecking order. But undoubtedly that, you know, it was a great goal yesterday and that's two and two for him as well as Ozil. So his confidence will, will grow and grow.
1: Yeah. Um, fourth goal penalty from Santi Cazorla, as we touched on, got a little bit lucky with that one. But the fifth goal from Hector Bellerin Um Really cool, calm, precise finish uh, from a from a young player who's developing in a very, very rapid and interesting way.
2: Yeah, he's developing as as quick as he runs. To be honest, he's you know looking like a, a hell of a player at right back. And him prior to this season, there was always talk, you know, that he was a big prospect. He went on loan to Watford, didn't necessarily make a massive impact there. But I suppose he's one that, like Francis Coquelin, has been afforded an opportunity due to deficiencies in the squad. And at the moment, he's making the position his own. You know, he's competing with a, a £16 million investment mm. in Callum Chambers and coming out on top at present. And uh, that's hugely encouraging and a brilliant goal as well, I thought. You know, absolutely amazing technique.
1: Yeah, he's he's exciting, isn't he? I, I like... I like watching him I have to say just because of the 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 quickness of his of his game and um you know he really does offer an outlet down down the right-hand side his crossing is good as well that was something that people who are fans of Carl Jenkinson always mm. uh, talked about as being one of his big strengths and certainly that's that's true of Bellerin as well so Long may long may his uh, progress continue. Well, it's only going to continue to a certain point, and then he he can't progress any further. He'll plateau, and then his, there'll be a slow, steady decline into his thirties. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Slightly.
2: May his plateau be far away.
1: Indeed, Chuba Akpom came on, and it looked it's as
2: a if fun name to say that, isn't
1: it? It 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 scans perfectly with the Flintstones theme. <laughs>
2: Was it not? Yeah, a suggestion for the Arsenal fans out there of a song, effectively.
1: Yeah. Chuba, Chuba. See, works perfectly. But he came on and it looked as if everybody was trying to get him a goal the way yes. that they were trying to feed him in the box. Cazorla, there was a brilliant moment where Cazorla was right on the edge of the box. He was inside the the D, practically. And you're going, just curl it, Santi. Top corner, you can do it. You've got the technique. All you need to do is just go, boom, in top corner. There's another goal for you. And instead, he, he tried to feed a ball into Agpom, and it was it was clear. But Mertesacker crossed one in for him. Kazorla tried to find him again. Cazorla got him in injury time. The shot wasn't great. And it looks as if they were trying to, to get him involved to try and i don't know whether there's a you know an instructional thing going on here that you know they're desperate for him to to make an impact in a way that might help change his mind shall we say not make up his mind but change his mind as to his uh, his future
2: maybe i agree it looked that way uh but i think i think i don't know if it was instructional i wonder if it was more just that thing of a young player came on, and everyone kind of wanted to give him that moment. Mm. I, I think Akpom did pretty well. I mean, we saw on the penalty award that acceleration he's got. I think he broke some kind of club record for for his uh, his sprinting over very short distances, and he he did well to win that penalty. Really showing off his speed there. I, I like what I see of him. I do think it's very clear to integrate him into the team and show him that he's got a future here. Whether or not it will work, time will tell. I mean, you know, everyone's... He's keen to impress, but is that just so that he can go and earn a fat contract and first-team football elsewhere?
1: Mm. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that he would get first-team football. But, you know, from, from what I think the word is, is that there isn't really any intention on his part to sign a new deal, because at the moment he's looking at Giroud ahead of him, he's looking at Welbeck ahead of him, he's looking at Alexis ahead of him, and maybe even Theo Walcott to a certain extent. Um, And that's got to be part of the the decision-making process. You would just hope that, you know, he's getting the, the right advice and and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, maybe just being involved on a more regular basis might make him think that this is the place for him to be, and he is only 19, and that, you know, circumstances can can change in a football club very quickly because you look at Hector Bellerin, everyone's talking about him as this great find of the season. But if Matthew Debuchy hadn't been injured twice, where would, where would Hector be? He'd probably be on loan, playing for the reserves. You know, sometimes you just have to be a little bit patient to get where you want to go in the right place.
2: It's a tricky one with Pon, because, you know, think, touch word once Alexis comes back, Welbeck comes back, uh, you know, he probably won't even find himself on the substitutes bench on a regular basis if those players stay fit. So in some ways, you'd imagine that the best thing for his development would be to go out on loan but it seems that the club are so keen to show him that he has a future with Arsenal, that they want to keep him around, but he might not actually end up getting too much game time as a consequence of that. So mm. it's, it's a bit of a bit of a funny one, really. I, I'd like to see him stay, because it's been a long time since we've produced a decent homegrown striker, and I think there's something exciting about that, someone scoring goals who's come through the academy. Yeah. But it's a big ask. The reason because it's really, really hard to find someone of that calibre.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Anyway, look, uh, overall, a good day and good preparation for what's coming up this weekend.
2: Definitely, yeah, we go into it with some real momentum. I mean, they do too. They've got a good result at the weekend. They won at West Brom. Um, But it it should be a great game, actually, the North London derby. I'm cautiously excited about it, which is great because usually... It's just a, an occasion that fills me with terror because the the stakes are, are so high. You mm. know, the, the the potential for humiliation is always there. But uh, I feel confident. We're in a good run. I mean, uh, before you know, what does Arsene Wenger need to alleviate the pressure? You know, what does he need? What sort of run does he need to put together? Do you think he's He's done that now? Do you think this is the the kind of run that we needed? Has he achieved what we asked of him effectively?
1: I think so. I mean, it, certainly we're, everything feels better um, than it did a few weeks ago. Certainly on New Year's Day against Southampton, there were so many questions that needed to be answered. And I think those questions have been answered by the performances and by the results in the month of January following that. Um, I mean, you'd hate to be going into this game on Saturday having won one, lost one, drawn one, you know, maybe not been terribly convincing. But when you look at the results, when you look at the performances, Manchester City, um, a load of clean sheets as well with Ospina, who we haven't mentioned, but I think we've we've spoken about him enough in, in the past. You know, I think that this, is, this is certainly us getting on the right track. Nobody's saying that the job is done and we can rest on our laurels by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, we're, we're certainly in a better place than we were a few weeks ago. And it goes back to that old thing that Arsene Wenger says, isn't it, about how confidence is a is the slowest thing in the world to, to build, but the very quickest thing to lose. And I think we had played without confidence and belief for pretty much most of the season. And I think now we're starting to see a team that uh, is confident, that is assured of its own qualities in in all the areas of the pitch, and it just feels better balanced than it did you know there aren't any uh, huge issues in terms of the squad and, and who's going to play or who's not going to play or any sniping in the background or, or anything like that so we're on the right track I think um, I think that's fair to say
2: Well when next week would, would cap it nicely mm.
1: all right we're going to take a short break. we'll be back with your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to part two of the ArsCast Extra. When we answer your questions, are sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog, and at Arseblog. But before we do that, James, I have some fascinating information here. Sent to me by Stuart Gill. And he says that scientists have discovered a, a, a horrible fossilized monster off the Isle of Skye. Right? It's called the Jarkvara Shawcrossy.
0: Crossy.
1: And Shawcrossy is in honor of Brian Shawcross, an amateur paleontologist who found the fossils on a beach in 1959 and gave them to a museum in Glasgow in 1990. This ancient sea monster resembled a dolphin crossed with a crocodile, which is pretty gross. And I I think...
2: We know how you feel about dolphins.
1: Yeah, and I think that this Brian Shawcross thing is purely an invention so as they won't get... Sued by Ryan Shawcross, who's clearly the hideous beast after which this this monstrosity is named,
2: that's exactly. what I think I mean Brian doesn't even sound like a real name
1: no, it's like the word "brain, but just spelled badly
2: exactly, come on, guys, make the story seem a bit more effective. yeah,
1: come on, there, New scientist magazine or whatever you are, not yeah, fooling I, I mean.
2: Is this right? Do you think this is Ryan Shawcross's dad that they found potentially?
1: Certainly, Shaw Ryan Shawcross could have could have hatched out of this thing. I think, yeah, for sure. Just sort of slithered onto the rocks and and grown up, oozed its way to Stoke somehow and and become from this tadpole-y thing a footballer. So yeah, there we go. It's uh, it's shocking scientific news. Some.
2: some- some breaking news on the transfer front. Oh, we oh. have missed out on the signing of Yakubu Aigbennie, who has joined Reading.
1: I am, I'm, I'm at now. I was, I was coping quite well with this transfer deadline day without, without being yeah. too stressed by anything. But no, the, the fact that we can't sign Yakubu, what does that say about us as a football club? That if Reading can sign Yakubu, why the hell can't we? Do you know what'll happen next? And this will just ruin it for everybody. Somebody will buy Christopher Samba for more than £10 million. Probably Harry Redknapp again. <laughs> and and that will just show us up once more.
2: Well, if that happens, I'll be setting fire to my season ticket.
1: <laughs> All right. Look, uh, we've got some questions. And the first question comes from mm. – I'm on the wrong thingamajig here – it comes from Billy Oscar. And he's at Billy Mounier. Mugnier? Mounier. I don't know. I'm sorry, Billy. But Billy Oscar is much easier to say there. Um, and he wants to know, assuming that uh, Alexis Sanchez is fit for the North London Derby, and I'm a bit dubious that he might not be. But assuming he is, who do you take out of yesterday's team to play him?
2: Well, hang on. Before I answer that, we've got to we've got to go into your dubiosity, du- dubiousness about this. Mm. Um, what makes you say that? You, you've just terrified the entire listenership of this podcast.
1: Well, I just well, I think Arsene Wenger said something uh, after the game about how Alexis was he was not very close today to playing at all. He was not very close, mm. so it, it wasn't a case that it was touch and go for him. You know. Uh, to miss out against Aston Villa, and if it's a hamstring, you know, normally two or three weeks, isn't it? So, making the assumption that it's just a mild hamstring, he might not be fit. That's—I'm just saying—I'm a little bit dubious. So, I could be wrong. Arsene Wenger could be playing the uh, the game here, not letting uh, anybody see his cards. Alexis might not be fit, and then all of a sudden he'll play. But I'm just—I'm just a little bit dubious. That's all.
2: Okay. Well, setting that aside, um, who would I leave out?
1: Yeah. I think
2: it would have to be... I think it would be Theo Walcott for me. mm mm-hmm. Um, Just because I think Meza Ozil offers something quite different to Alexis, whereas Alexis feels like he can give you what Walcott, but he gives you more. I think he's a more complete player. So he would be the one who I would swap out, and I'd let Ozil and Alexis rotate on the flanks. What about yourself?
1: Exactly the same. Exactly the same. I think when we don't have the ball, I think we need players who are a little more defensively capable than Theo. I'm not saying he doesn't get himself into the right positions, but just maybe he isn't quite as good defensively as as some of the others. Uh, I think as well, when we do have the ball, retention of it is going to be important. I think Ozil gives us more in, in that regard. But to have him on the bench, should we need him, it's, a, it's an absolutely fantastic weapon because, as we spoke about earlier, if we do need a goal, then we've got a player on the bench who can come off and, and actually get you one, who you would feel confident of being able to produce something even if he flits in and out of the game or is very much on the periphery of it he's still capable of doing something in a very short period of time that, that can get you a goal so for me if Alexis is fit he comes back in for Walcott so
2: I mean one player we, we haven't talked about is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain mm. uh, do you think do you think he would come back into the team if he was fit?
1: Uh... No, I don't think I'd bring him back. I mean, he's had a good season. But I think perhaps what he needs to do is start delivering end product. Um, I mean, I really like him. I think he's a great all round footballer. But for for the amount of games that he's played, perhaps he's underperformed in terms of what he's brought in goals and, and assists if that makes sense. And I'm not being critical in that regard. I think he's still a very young player who is going to to develop further and is going to get better because I think, you know, you look at somebody like Cesc Fabregas, who was a very good all-round player, but it took him to about the age of 21 or 22 before he started scoring on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that'll probably be true of Oxlade-Chamberlain. But at the moment, you know, in a game like this, would you, would you choose Oxlade-Chamberlain over Mesut Ozil? I don't think so. And would you choose him over Theo Walcott if you needed something from the game or if you wanted to get a goal? I don't think so either. Uh, but, you know, if he's fit, a good option to have on the bench.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Because, I mean, James Gilaney actually asked us, given that he's played virtually every game, do you think Ox has taken his chance? Um, I think he's had a, a good season. I agree about the end product. I might be inclined to include him just because I think... He offers you a little bit more security defensively than either Meza Ozil or Theo Walker. Mm. So, if you're going with Alexis on one flank, he can offer you potentially a bit of a bit of balance, you know, on the other. Yeah. Um, but we shall see. I mean, the great thing is Arsenal has got all these options, and in a way, he kind of can't lose because whatever he selects, he knows he's got game-changing players on the bench if it doesn't work out.
1: Yeah. That's true, and it's a nice option to have. You know, you think you could bring Thomas Rzitzki off the bench as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think Welbeck will be back also. So, you know, you could start, uh, bring Alexis back for Walcott, and you could then have on the bench Danny Welbeck, Theo Walcott, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and Thomas Rzitzki as players who could, if you needed to, change the game for you. And we haven't necessarily had that kind of uh, game-changing depth for, for a very long time. Very long. Mm. Mm. All right.
2: Shall we have another question? Yeah. Okay. This one comes from uh, Neil Kavanagh, who is at the the underscore Covey. And he says, with Bellerin at right back and Cochlan at defensive midfield both doing so well and Gabrielle side at centre back, what now for Callum Chambers?
1: That is a really good question. That's a good question. And my feeling on that is that there's no need to worry about it just at this moment in time, if that makes sense. Mm. That There's been so much discussion about where he's going to play. Is it going to be centre-half? Is it going to be defensive midfield? Is he going to play at right back? Um, I think he's a versatile player who probably won't find his full position for a little while. Um, and I don't think it matters. Do you know what I mean? I think it's... I think it's fine that we can't necessarily pigeonhole him straight away and that it's going to be down to him and his performances that will probably dictate where he ends up or, or how things end up for him. You know, he's still only he's only just gone 20. He's only in his first real season of of full-time um first team football. Um, I know he played a, a bit for Southampton last season, but I think it was only 18 or 19 appearances, and some of those were yeah. were substitute appearances. He was tremendous at the start of the season, faded a bit, as you would expect for a young player. That you The, the initial, I don't know, the, the fearlessness that you have as a young player kind of fades away a bit, and you start realizing that, shit, you're playing for Arsenal, and you're under some pressure here, and you've got to perform. And he was... He was as um affected by anybody, I think, as having to play in a in a defense that wasn't as uh well was makeshift at times, you know. So I think the fact that he's out of the team at the moment is no not a bad thing. I don't think it reflects poorly on him. I think it says more about how well Bellerin is playing, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing anyway, because it just takes some of the pressure off him, and he can develop perhaps a bit more slowly without as much pressure, because I think we we get a bit short-term, don't we? That people go, oh, well, Bellerin is the guy now. Let's forget about Chambers. But he was great when he came into the side. In the first few months of the season, he was absolutely fantastic, and everyone was saying, what a bargain, what a brilliant player we've got here, etc., etc. So now that the pressure's off Bit, things can go a bit more slowly uh, and I'm sure he'll find his way in the team
2: yeah I agree with that effectively his development can now progress at a more appropriate speed yeah and I think uh, you know that's entirely sensible and I, I also agree that it doesn't matter what his best position is and we may not know that for a, as much as two or three seasons I would say yeah uh, because it will take it'll take him getting a sustained run in that position for us to know that that's where his future lies probably and and that may not come about too quickly for him but he's made big leaps in over the past calendar year and i think a little spell out of the side is something he probably needed actually he was beginning to look a little bit ragged so i think it, you know i, I think he, he, there's not an obvious place for him in the team at present but i don't think that's a problem
1: yeah I would agree entirely. You know that you know uh, it's it's easier for him perhaps just to to uh, to play now with some of the pressure taken off him. And look, the other thing as well is that we've spoken a number of times about how competition for places and this competitive environment helps bring the best out of players. So the, he's got that going on with with Hector Bellerin at the moment at uh, right back. So um, you know if he can use what Bellerin is doing to drive him to become a better player. Then uh, you know it works out well for us. So, so it does. All right, this one comes from East Stand at East Stand 14, and he wants to know kind of a similar question: Where does Welbeck feature, if at all, in the team when he's fit?
2: Another really interesting question um, because when he got injured, Welbeck was starting pretty regularly in a front three, wasn't he, with Giroud and Alexis? Mm. and now, with so many other players back, that's far from a guarantee. I think effectively his role becomes, probably becomes limited more to playing at centre forward, and it will be as a, an alternative option to Olivier Giroud. At present, Giroud's in brilliant form. It's difficult to see him being dropped. But for example, I know that in a week's time we we play Leicester, then we've got the FA Cup game a few few days later. Mm wouldn't surprise me at all to see Welbeck play one of those games as the central striker. Um, I also think he's a a great option from the bench because he plays with so much energy. He's got that pace. So in the last 20 minutes of a game, I think he's an ideal player to come off the bench.
1: Do you get the feeling, sorry to interrupt, Uh, do you get the feeling that Arsene Wenger is being quite cautious with Olivier Giroud because he was always a player who would do 90 minutes? And since his return from injury, he's been taken off quite regularly, um, mm. and maybe that just maybe it's uh, there's an underlying issue that we don't know anything about that he's kind of nursing him through a bit. But perhaps that that fact that he doesn't want to knacker Giroud to the point where he becomes less effective will work to Welbeck's advantage in that he'll get more time.
2: I think that will. I mean, you're right in that it's a new thing to see Giroud come off after. 70 minutes, you know, he was always a guy who was left out there. And I think to his detriment to an extent, he's very robust, but mm. for anyone to, to play that amount of minutes is exhausting. And I, I just think Welbeck gives you a good alternative. You know, at the start of the season, there were plenty of people, I think myself included, who thought Welbeck might take that central striking spot for his own. Mm. So I think to have two players, two players with that ability, with that potential, is just a great position to be in I I don't fear too much for Danny Welbeck I think he'll he'll get plenty plenty of minutes be that starting games away from home on the flanks where he offers you that bit more cover or playing as an alternative to Giroud to make sure the Frenchman doesn't get too tired out and there might be times where Giroud's not quite in the blistering form that he's in at present an England international striker to bring in as an alternative seems like a very very positive thing. What Mm. about yourself?
1: I just think it's a consequence of having depth that people then question the depth, whether or not they can get into the team. Because if Giroud wasn't playing well, people would be saying, why isn't Welbeck starting? But Giroud's playing Mm. well, so Welbeck is going to have to wait his chance. And that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, But I think it's important that we have him in the squad. I think he was, I get the feeling that Welbeck was playing through an injury for a while and was asked to play through an injury for quite a while because as soon as Juu was back to more or less full fitness, Welbeck was taken out of the taken out of the team to give him a rest and i just yeah. I get the sense that he in the in the final few games that he played wasn 't necessarily a hundred percent I think he 's done a pretty decent job for us since he arrived he scored some good goals. Um, you know, he's still young as well, isn't he? He's only, what, 24? Is that yeah. right? So, I mean, he's still got
2: Same age as Cochrane, isn't you know? Yeah,
1: you know, so uh, I just don't quite understand the logic of, of questioning whether or not he's got any kind of a future with us when it's obvious that we need the depth over the course of a season, and just because at this moment in time, Giroud is playing very well, that doesn't negate the need... For uh, for the for the likes of Welbeck and, and other players who can who can do a job there,
2: and also there's even a, an argument potentially that the way of playing this season is a, a response to the arrival of Daniel yeah, Welbeck.
1: good yeah, good point.
2: So I think that kind of competition's healthy. We've always said that, and uh, I'm looking forward to having him back in the squad. You know, as much as I like seeing him there having a an international striker on the bench next week will definitely be a, a Philip.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, you got one more? Uh,
2: yeah, okay. All right, let's have uh, Andy P10, and he asks, pretty simple one, for, I don't know if we've done it before, apologies if we have, favourite North London derby moment for you?
1: My favourite North London derby moment, I think. I think we might have done it before, but... Uh, and maybe people won't, won't like it there were I mean there have been so many games and so many good wins, but just from the from the sheer visceral enjoyment of something was the the two goals in a minute a few years back um was it Van Percy scored, and then Tottenham gave the ball away from kickoff and Sesk picked it up and ran through and just buried it while people were still practically celebrating the first goal, we scored a second, so it was like. Fireworks in your pants and then double fireworks in your pants. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, I mean, I that was... I
2: recollections, yeah. So that, that was really good. I have now. recollections of you telling me about this.
1: <laughs>
2: so I think we have talked about this before. Yeah. Well, let's do it quickly then. That's good. Obviously, winning the league unbeaten at White Hart Lane in 2004, the celebrations yeah. on the pitch afterwards, hard to top for me. The worst, just to put another spin on it, the worst memory i have of a north london derby and there have been many was the 4-4 uh, at the emirates which was absolutely agonizing actually even though we didn't lose that last minute last yeah. second equalizer was it was it aaron lennon
1: i think it was aaron lennon yeah yeah
2: that was absolutely gutting
1: that was shit alright
2: also that seemed to sort of announce the start of Arsenal being a team who were capable of that kind of uh, idiocy <laughs> you know that was sort of the, the first hysterical collapse of yeah an Arsenal team yeah and it opened a, a kind of a, an era of of that sort of nonsense yeah so, uh, I mean
1: yeah. I I don't think we should ever underestimate the damage that Mikel Silvestre did just by being at Arsenal ever he was in that team <laughs> yeah. that night I think he scored Agent Silvestre. yeah I think he, he did scored. score. He did score. Yeah. I don't really want to get into worsts today. Fuck it. Okay. Fair I'm enough. just <laughs> I was thinking of a couple of games there and I was going, nah, nah, I'm quite happy after yesterday. I'm not gonna go down that road again. So um let's just remember beating fair all plan. the good times of beating Tottenham. Right. Final question for me. Uh today it comes from hang on. Ah shit, where is it? Okay, yeah, it comes from Anders, who's at Birdcamp Spin. And he says, mm. given the day that's in it, you have 30 seconds inside Jim White's body. I'm assuming that you're live on Sky Television. You don't oh, ha- right. We don't have okay. to take this to places it doesn't need to go. Um, <laughs> so you're live on Sky inside Jim White's body. You have full control. What team slash fan base do you fuck with and how?
2: Oh, Spurs, easy. Because they were the masters. I don't know if you remember about... 10 years ago of nearly signing every great player you know, are we we nearly signed him, we nearly signed them and I just think it'd be brilliant they, they have of note in this window that we're all looking for a new centre forward potentially because it looks like Adebayor's off for his, his next payday so it'd be great to be there as Jim White lead them on, say they've got someone potentially you know, brilliant coming in and then just pull the rug from under their feet as the window slammed shut i would love to watch the fallout of that
1: yeah that would be that would be um, amusing
2: as for, as for who it would be i don't know someone someone it's got to be a player who's like realistically within their grasp so someone stupid enough to join tottenham hotspur potentially but also someone who would get them excited um so a bracket someone
1: yeah michael ricketts malcolm christie
2: I mean, it's difficult because Yakubu's already joined, Freddie. Yeah, well, I mean, that's so. the big one.
1: That's the big one today. So it's
2: a shame. Yeah. Um, what, what about yourself?
1: Um, I think if I was just live on on Jim uh, on Sky, I'd just be going, Fuck Mourinho. Fuck Chelsea. Mourinho, you can't fucking. That's a, it's it's unsophisticated, but it would be hilarious yeah. to it's see one, the format. It's fallout. definitely one approach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because in thirty seconds, people would Jim, the real Jim White, would come back to life and and go, "My goodness, what's happened there?" I don't know. What's, you know, but if you could, if you could just go on a tirade against Mourinho for for thirty seconds, or maybe maybe just accuse Mourinho of being the father of the Shawcross dinosaur, that could be that could be it, or the lover, <laughs> the lover of the Shawcross dinosaur. They're going off together to to make. Bestiality weddings and stuff. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it very much.
2: Is there a picture of the Shawcross dinosaur?
1: There is a picture of the Shawcross dinosaur. Um,
2: uh, I should Presumably put it. It's not a photograph.
1: It. It's not. No, it's an artist's rendition of it. Um, but I, I'll put it up on the. Uh, I'll link to it on the on the blog post when I get the the podcast up, so people can look at it there. So, so there okay. you go.
2: Well, beware warn your children don't Indeed. look at it you know directly in the eye
1: all right um james we better let you go uh, enjoy your travels what's left of them
2: yes i'll be returning to london before the north london derby so we'll be back with a a normal ask us extra where you can hear all my words and everything next week
1: and the lorry people are missing the lorry
2: of course i couldn't get it i couldn't get it in the hand luggage <laughs>
1: All right, we'll chat to you on next week's Arscast Extra. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.